the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. Each week we highlight a local ministry that is impacting the community in Jesus' name. Our hope is to connect you to a ministry in which you can grow and serve in Christ's kingdom. And now your host for the Ministry of the Week, Craig Roberts. Joining me today in studio, a very special guest. He is the lead pastor of Hillside Church in San Jose and also speaker on a new broadcast here on KFAX called Grace to Live, heard Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. right here on KFAX. He's Pastor Keith Crosby. And Pastor Crosby, great to have you with us today. It's great to be here. I'm I'm excited to be here. And excited to have you not only as a brand new member of the KFAX uh, programming family, and I think listeners will also be interested to note as they make a destination point Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. to listen to your new broadcast, Grace to Live, that um, you come to the table with a pretty nice pedigree from a, a theological background. You are, in fact, a student of our good friend, Dr. John MacArthur, in fact, a graduate of uh, Grace Seminary, a couple of degrees there. Right, actually, the Master's Seminary, but yeah, I graduated twice, uh, my Master's in Divinity in 2003, and then I received my doctorate in expository preaching in 2015. But you don't go by Dr. Crosby. I do not. I do not. I go by Keith. I'm not into titles. I just, uh, I'm just a servant of the Lord, sort of a ditch digger for Christ, and uh, so titles aren't a big deal for me. You came to the San Francisco Bay Area by way of um, SoCal down in Riverside, but originally you and your spouse are from Savannah, Georgia. That's right. Terry and I are both from Savannah. We grew up a mile and a half from each other, and we never laid eyes on each other for the first 30 years of our life. And then it was love at first sight, and uh, the rest, much. as they say, is the, the fairy tale story married, what, almost 30 years? Almost 30 years. It'll be 27 years in, in May. Fantastic. And uh, had the calling to the ministry been something that was a part of your spiritual DNA from the very beginning? No, I came from a pretty unchurched family. Uh, I was in the resort hotel business for 20 years, and... I was saved uh, late in the game, but uh, in God's perfect timing. And so when I was around 30, I came to Christ, and then my wife and I had about a five- or six-year discussion about seminary, and we determined that I was, I was too old to go, and so we waited another three years, and I went to seminary when I was almost 40. So help me understand the, the trajectory here from uh, three decades, practically, mm-hmm. in the hotel, resort, mm-hmm. business, mm-hmm. hospitality, trade, mm-hmm. uh, into the ministry. When did you get the sense, Keith, that God was saying, I've got a different pathway for you to take here that's going to have nothing to do with where you've been for the last 30 years? It really became a, a joyful burden for me. I was at a very large resort hotel outside in, in Orlando, Florida, and I had 5,000 guests a day, and that was my mission field, plus the staff. And you know, as the laws began to, began to change, the labor laws, and as the culture began to change, it became increasingly difficult to connect with people, to share Christ with people. And so my wife and I had this discussion about we're really ministering part-time, even though we were serving in our local church, 
better to minister full-time. And so sort of like the Beverly Hillbillies, we loaded up the truck and moved to Beverly. We moved from the <laughs> East Coast to the West Coast to go to the Master's Seminary in Sun Valley, California. And as you mentioned, you completed um, two degrees there mm-hmm. at yes. Master's Seminary. And in terms of the direction that, that God eventually led you from a 10-year serving in Riverside and now here mm-hmm. in the San Francisco Bay Area, taking over as lead pastor at Hillside Church in San Jose, a, a church that's got a, a long and rich spiritual heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, many longtime Bay Areans know uh, uh, Marvin Francine sure. and uh, are aware of the fact, too, that as an EV-free church, uh, Chuck Swindoll from Inside for Living has been a, a frequent speaker, yes. uh, gracing the pulpit of yeah. um, Hillside Church down through the years. That's true. We have a very distinguished history. I'm standing on the shoulders of giants, that's for sure. Even the president of the Evangelical Free Church in America, he was a previous pastor, and both he and Marv, Kevin Compline and Marv, are still in the congregation. Well, what a blessing to have that kind of a a legacy Mm -hmm. upon which to sort of build the next generation of of this ministry, and a ministry, I suppose, in some respects, that's changing. You work in an interesting mission field. You pastor in Silicon Valley, where the average resident is a college graduate, works in high tech, earns a six-figure salary, drives a Tesla, and lives in a seven-figure home. A lot of people would look at that demographic and say, hmm, most of those individuals probably regard life as pretty swell, pretty easy, and therefore trying to persuade people of the need for Christ, that notion of sin and the separation that we all have from God, must at times serving in a mission field such as the Bay Area and specifically Silicon Valley must at times feel like a bit of an uphill battle. You know, it's a glorious uphill battle. It's a good battle. It's a battle worth fighting because what we are, we're, we're reaching an unreached people group, and that's who we set our sights on. I come from a background most recently where we were in an urban setting and we were uh, 46% Latino, 35% African American, and about 18 to 20% Caucasian. Here it's a different people group. Uh, The minority is the majority. These are people who, like you said, they're comfortable. They don't need God. Life is great. They're paid well. They're working hard. But what they don't realize is that this life is short and eternity is long, and so our, our passion is to connect them to, to the grace of God, to, to reach out to them and to find ways to introduce them to the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. Do you find a challenge, too, with a lot of the racial diversity by way of the fact that you have many workers that are immigrant workers that have come from other countries, other cultures that perhaps have no perspective? If you come, for example, from um, the communist China, say, sure, well, sure. you've lived in a vacuum of religion, practically speaking, for the better part of 70-something years, or perhaps you come from cultures that, that do not recognize um, the God of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so yep. is, is it equally challenging to not only lay before people the need for a Savior in addition to starting with some of the fundamentals, meaning that God is? You know, it's a, it's a great point. The reality is is that God has created us. The French philosopher Blaise Pascal said that in us is a void in the shape of God, and people try to fill it with all kinds of things. It's like putting diesel in a gasoline engine. What we want to do is give them the fuel that they need, and that is the Word of God. And it takes patience. It's not just handing a tract to people or confrontational evangelism anymore. You have to build a relationship. And so that's what we want to do. We want to connect with the community in a lot of creative ways. We're not going to compromise biblical integrity, but we're going to connect with these people. And I, I feel blessed and in some ways 
uh, uniquely equipped. I pastored a Chinese church for a few years. I have uh, ministered in the South Pacific and in Russia. And uh, even the church, again, that I was at in SoCal uh, was uh, ethnically diverse. It was culturally diverse. And the bottom line is, is that the God of the universe has put something in them that they know viscerally, even if they try to suppress that truth, that they need him. And so we just want to seize the opportunities that he gives us to take the gospel to them, just like we would somebody in a faraway land like India or, or China or uh, the Arabian Peninsula. And, and in that context, I mean, certainly we've seen a major shift that has taken mm-hmm. place in our country uh, of recent times, certainly economically, mm-hmm. culturally, to be sure. Um, and I have to wonder toward that end, does this then force one, in a sense, to be very intentional yes. about what they do from Absolutely. a ministry standpoint? And, and let me define that for listeners. We see the better part of the history of the church in America as a almost casual or incidental, mm-hmm. meaning that most people that were raised in the influence of a church growing up continued to go to church as young adults. They raised their own families in church. That cycle continued. It was that way for many, many generations. Now we have perhaps the first full generation, maybe even two, for whom that sort of spiritual legacy within the household has a great disconnect. Mm-hmm either because once having reached collegiate level, there was a desire to go out and explore the world and never turn back to the church, if even having been churched in the first place. And then when you add into the mix an area like the Bay Area Mm -hmm. that is so rich in terms of the the cultural, economic diversity, the educational even diversity Mm -hmm. that we see Mm -hmm. here, that one almost has to be intentional in what we do in terms of reaching not only certain people groups, but also certain subsections of our own culture. Well, you know, Tim Tim Keller writes a book called Sinner Church that talks a lot about that. And this is... This is our approach at Hillside. We are gearing up, particularly for our Easter outreaches, to where we want to take every opportunity to connect with somebody. You think about it. You pass people on the street day in and day out. You stand in line at the grocery store. You stand in line at the ATM or wherever it is in your workplace. You were saved to serve as a Christian. You were put here for a reason. You were raised up for such a time as this. And our mission and our passion is to be about our Father's business. In the past, we were, as a culture, in some ways, fat, dumb, and happy. And as we, people do, don't do well spiritually in times of prosperity, but in times of uncertainty, in times of adversity, that's when the church thrives, and that's the time we're in now. And people know that money doesn't buy happiness. We used to say it rents, it doesn't even do that now. And so there is an unsettledness in the world that causes people to look around for truth and they can't find it. And I believe that God is using this difficult era in which we live to cause people to look up. And our goal is to be there as a neighbor, as a friend, as a colleague, as a church of 400 ministers of the gospel, to begin to answer the questions that people ask. And so we're really focusing on equipping ourselves to do that. We sometimes come to the false conclusion when we see the rise of secularism and a drifting away from um, the traditional Judeo-Christian ethic mm-hmm. in our nation, that mm-hmm. we think people somehow have lost interest in things spiritual, and mm-hmm. that it isn't at all the case. They're just looking for other non-traditional yes. places in an effort to find answers, mm-hmm. ultimately to come back very unfulfilled. Mm-hmm. And eventually, 
if the church is good at what God's called us to do, mm-hmm. find themselves coming back to the foot of the cross? Yep. Yeah. You know, think about it right now. People, all kinds of crazy New Age religions, remember the 70s song, Looking for Love in All the Wrong Places? Mm-hmm. That's what people are doing. They haven't stopped their spiritual odyssey, their spiritual search. They're just going to the wrong place. And the church... Uh, having adapted a consumer mindset in the not-so-distant past, has rendered itself largely irrelevant. What we want to do is to show the people that it's not about whether or not God is relevant to, to them. It's whether or not they are relevant to God. They need God. God loves them. God sent his son to die for them. He has, he has offered every person, no matter who they are, where they come from, who their mother or father was or what they've done, forgiveness and restoration as a gift if they turn away from the old way and they turn to him. And with all these people seeking all these things, things that do not satisfy, there is a, a, a truth meter in them that even though they may suppress the truth and try to ignore God, he's, he, they can't ignore him. And we, in that intentional evangelism and in that intentional uh, outreach, daily outreach on an individual and a collective basis, we want to put God in the forefront of their lives. How challenging has the role of, you use the word, uh, the consumer mindset within mm-hmm. Christianity? Uh, one might call it Christianity light. Yes. Uh, Jesus without the doctrine, mm-hmm. um, a, a Christ that's sort of moldable and fashionable into whatever feels comfortable mm-hmm. for me. The person who approaches Scripture and says, well, these passages I like, mm-hmm. so I'll highlight those. Right. And those passages I'll just take a Sharpie and line right. Uh, We've certainly seen a devolution Mm -hmm. in relationship to theological integrity in the Mm -hmm. church, almost to the point where some might suggest that uh, it's time for a modern-day Martin Luther to go find today's version of the Wittenberg door and go nail the second 99 thesis to it. Yeah, I agree completely. You know, you think about it. If you were building a building and you just chose the principles of physics and construction that you wanted, you couldn't get a permit, and that thing would collapse on itself, which is what many churches are doing now. Even in our church right now, we're preaching through the Ten Doctrines of the Christian Faith. We're calling the series Blueprint to remind ourselves of what we believe and why we believe it and equipping ourselves to explain it. But we do live in an era where people try to pick and choose, but you really can't. You can't pick and choose how you're going to do brain surgery, and you sure can't pick and choose how you're going to do soul surgery. Christ has defined himself. They say, oh, you can't put God in a box. Well, God has described himself exhaustively and sufficiently within his word. He hasn't said one word more than he needs to or one word less than he should. And we want to bring that Bible, that that timeless teaching of God's word to bear upon our own hearts so that we can share it with the people around us. And people will know the truth when they hear it. And as Jesus said, the truth will set them free. Do they want to hear it? Not necessarily. Neither you nor I would enjoy getting a cancer diagnosis uh, from our our doctor. But it would be unloving for him not to tell us we had cancer and we needed treatment. And it's unloving for us not to give people the unadulterated, unbiblical Jesus. Uh, I think it was Voltaire who said in the beginning, God God created humanity. And ever since then, humanity has been trying to return the favor. (laughs) We want to do ourselves a favor and present God as he has presented himself to us in his word. Does this then bring us back full circle to the importance of the church? As Scripture says, not only returning to our first love, Mm -hmm. but perhaps 
coming back to a better understanding of the fundamentals of yeah. the faith. And I ask that question because it's not difficult today mm-hmm. to find a Christian almost anywhere, and mm-hmm. I'm not just picking on the Bay Area, sure. almost anywhere, that can tell you in general terms what they believe. They just mm-hmm. can't tell you why they believe it. Right. It's something I've always said, and it's, you know, it's, it's I think, at a level quaint, and I mm-hmm. want to choose my word wisely here, sure. it, it's quaint to sing a little ditty like, uh, because the Bible tells me so, that's right. how I know. Sure. And yet there are a lot of people that don't even understand the fundamentals of what the Bible tells us mm-hmm. or a lack of understanding of the application as to why this matters to me. We talked mm-hmm. in the last segment about intentional ministry, and yes. I guess in that regard, when we look at some of the fundamentals of sin, salvation, sanctification, mm-hmm. um, the solas, yeah. God is very intentional. He is. In why those building blocks of the foundation of our faith are there, and absent using those proper tools and building blocks, the whole house collapses in on itself, doesn't it? Excellent. Not? There's no foundation. You know, you look at Second Timothy three sixteen and seventeen and it tells us that God's word is inspired, breathed out by him and is useful for uh doctrine, for correcting our course, for for instruction and training in righteousness so that we're adequate and equipped for every good work. The Bible helps us to make sense of our lives. And that's why we want to interpret our world, our existence, not through the lens of feeling and not through the lens of experience, but through the lens of Scripture. We want to weigh truth claims in the scales of God's Word because otherwise, you know, feelings are like the tides. They come and go or like the weather. It changes every 15 minutes. But as Peter said, the word of God endures, abides forever, and he's quoting Isaiah. Is part of the issue here a a fundamental paradigm shift where scripturally and historically it was about making disciples? Mm -hmm. And yet today we have certain branches of Christendom, uh, particularly those that I would place in the megachurch, seeker-sensitive category, Mm -hmm. that seem to be more about getting people to join a club. Right. As opposed to understanding concepts like having offended a holy and righteous mm-hmm. God. Mm-hmm. We will, for example, preach all about grace mm-hmm. and yet leave out of the equation the judgment of God, the mm-hmm. righteousness of God, the mm-hmm. holiness of God. And I have to wonder, well, if, if that, that's like saying, well, I'm going to sell you fire insurance, but fire insurance only means something if you understand what it means to be burnt. Exactly. So how do you, how do you preach a message of God's grace mm-hmm. without understanding that that grace is only amazing and significant if we understand what that grace is saving us from, rescuing us from, the, the price that's being paid by someone else on our behalf? Yeah, no, you're you're a hundred percent right. In the Gospel of John, in in chapter one, it describes that Jesus was full of grace and truth. With if you just give grace without giving them the bad news, there is no good news without the bad news. You know, we are sinners. We are marching like lemmings off the off the cliff into the abyss. And were it not for God sending His Son to die for us and through His resurrection change us from the inside out and give us a heavenly hope, we'd be lost. And so there has to be a biblical balance. We have to be full of grace and truth. And grace is, is that God saves anybody. But the truth is we don't deserve salvation because we have offended a holy God. And if we're honest with ourselves, no one had to teach us to lie, to steal, to cheat. People download and pirate software. People cheat on their expense accounts. 
expense accounts, I'm sorry. And when I was a child, no one had to teach me to pull my daughter, my sister's pigtails, not my daughter. She'd kill me for saying that. But, and no one had to teach me to lie to my parents. It came naturally. And so we need a Savior. He's like a lifeguard who dives down deep into this sinful earth and pulls us out of the waters of sin where we're drowning and flailing like a dying man. Does the church then fundamentally need to shift back to teaching what true mm-hmm. discipleship means? And I, and I pose that question because, and I've seen the experiment done, get up on a Sunday morning and say, just with everybody eyes, every eye closed, mm-hmm. every head bowed, raise your hand if mm-hmm. you've led anybody to Christ right. and see how many hands go up. Right. These days, people are afraid of offending people. The, Jesus said the gospel is an offense. It's a, it's a sword that divides families. And the reality is when you tell people that they are a sinner and they need a savior, that's offensive. But you know what? It's like, again, I go back to the cancer patient. When a doctor sits down with a patient and says, look, you've got cancer and, and we've got to start treatment now, he doesn't say, oh, well, that's so harsh and unloving. Who are you to judge me? But that's the way we live and think today because our, our thinking has become so bent and so watered down that we can't think straight. We can't even reason these days. Has the focus shifted off of him and onto us? It has. More about the creation than the creator. Exactly. It's all about us and not about God. And we forget that God is not a politician looking for a vote. He's a king calling us to worship him. And, you know, he's not out taking polls. He's telling us what the truth is. And that's the truth that sets us free. It's the truth that opens our eyes to the world around us and shows us our need for a Savior and shows us that it's not that God has abandoned us. It's that we've abandoned him, and he's there ready, willing, and able to forgive and to restore us. My faith isn't a blind faith. It's a very rational faith. The God who made the universe, who spoke the time, matter, space, continuum in existence when he said, let there be light, is capable of watching over me, of providing for me, of showing me the way that I should go through his word, guided and encouraged and strengthened by his spirit, and also walking arm in arm with the people of God at my church. So this Christianity is not check your brains at the door and by blind faith just hope for a good outcome. Definitely not. It's a very rational faith. It's a very reasoned faith. When you think about it, we look around the studio and we can see the hand of man everywhere. This studio just didn't happen by accident. This desk isn't where it is. This microphone just isn't where it is. When you look at the world around you, the sun rises and sets on schedule. The beauty of the sunrise and sunset, the rising and setting of the moon, you see evidence of God's invisible attributes made visible by all that he's made. You know that you're not alone. You know that he's there. And that's why I really don't believe in atheists or agnostics. There are people who want not to believe in God and would like to, be, to feign ignorance. But at the end of the day, the Bible tells us in Psalm 19, 1 through 6, and Romans 1, 18 through 20, that there's no person who's ever lived that isn't aware of God's existence. But they suppress the truth because they want to live for themselves. But God designed us to live for others. And also to, in that relational experience, to, to come to put our trust in him, mm-hmm. not just for things like our salvation, but I, I think of the experience that your daughter has been going through mm-hmm. since the car accident and how seeing that as her father breaks your heart. It does. And yet to know that it also breaks the heart of our Heavenly Father. It does. And that... God knows what it's like to see a child go through pain and suffering. He does. And that we can surrender that burden, that pain, that 
I don't know what's happening here mm-hmm. or why sense that we all go through mm-hmm. from time to time in circumstances and situations in life and be able to say, God, I lay this at your feet. It's bigger and, and more beyond my capacity to completely comprehend or do anything about, but nothing is out of the realm and reach of your capacity and in your great plan, which I don't perhaps fully understand right now, but mm-hmm. in your great plan, at the end of the day, the one thing that we are completely and fully persuaded of, and that is you are in control. Amen. You know, what you just said is, a, is, a, is what we find in Philippians 4, 6 through 9. Don't worry. Pray. Dwell on what you know is good and true, that God is in control, and practice these things. Discipline your mind to practice these things, and the God of peace, and I would submit to you the peace of God will be with you. And that's... That's what you have to do. Uh, the only way this all makes sense is if there's a God. For an atheist or an agnostic or whomever, when they live in a world where there is no transcendent truth, there is no God, you can't have morality without God. The universe, if, if it's an anonymous universe, doesn't know and doesn't care. And our lives are purposeless and we're here by accident. But we know that God made us for a purpose, that, that, that there is good that there is evil, and that God will conquer sin, death, evil, and hell, and that we have hope for the future. And that there is certainty out there. There is certainty. And if you're unsure of that, uh, try stepping to the ledge of a three-story building and ask whether or not gravity is certain. Right. And uh, depending upon how you <laughs> conclude that answer to that question may, may, may determine, in fact, your fate. A college professor told one of my students, I don't believe in objective truth, and I don't believe that words have meaning. And my student said, well, you just made an absolute statement, and you use words to communicate it. You know, there are absolutes. There is certainty. You and I can't know everything exhaustively all at once. That's God's arena. But we can know the truth sufficiently to explain it to others and to lead them to be rescued by God. And that is the joy of opening God's Word and and diving into this wonderful love letter that helps explain His plan for us, Mm -hmm. His love for us, His character, and that model, that roadmap, if you will, as Pastor Crosby described it a moment ago, for our lives. Mm. You like what you've heard so far? Want to go a little deeper? Be sure to tune in to Grace to Live Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with Pastor Keith Crosby. And if you'd like to uh, check out the church, Hillside Church in San Jose, details available on the web at hillside.org. That's hillside.org. Pastor Keith Crosby, thanks so much for the time today. Thank you for listening to the KFAX Ministry of the Week. More information about this week's highlighted ministry is available at kfax.com. Until next time, God bless. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.